0: I'm Michael Sears, the Director of Leadership Innovation at the Stockdale Center at the United States
1: Naval Academy. And I'm Colonel Jeff Smitherman, the Senior Marine Representative here at the United States Naval Academy.
0: I'm in conversation today with Colonel Smitherman, and we're talking about the do-over, specifically about the balance between getting the job done and carrying out your decision-making to the fifth significant digit. We're going to hear a story about combat from the perspective of a Naval Academy graduate and a Marine artillery officer, Tommy Martinez. It's a story where Tommy had a significant responsibility as a Marine captain and as the fire direction officer in a gun battery during the first Iraq war. Colonel, you actually had time in the 14th Marines and commanded a cannon battalion in combat and shot prep fires just like we're talking about here. Can you set the stage for us and tell us what it means to do that job, the job of the FDO, and what a one five five howitzer is?
1: So a one five five is the millimeter one five five millimeter howitzer. It's a medium weight artillery cannon, and in in this case, it was self propelled. Today, we use what is called the lightweight howitzer. Still, actually uses the same cannon tube that you found in those. Uh, M105 self-propelled howitzers, but it's the, it's the caliber of the, uh, cannon tube and the projectile that's fired. It weighs, uh, 92 to 105 pounds, depending on the type of projectile, but, uh, it's a capable weapon system.
0: So Colonel, tell me what an FDO means and, and, and who that person is.
1: Yeah. The fire direction officer is a young second lieutenant or first lieutenant he's one of he's one of 8 uh lieutenants within a firing battery and sometimes he is fresh and green straight out of uh school at Fort Sill Oklahoma it, it, typically the one with the best gunnery grades um but uh he is a lieutenant who is going to be the brain of that firing battery it may be a senior first lieutenant or captain at the battalion level but in this case as a lieutenant you show up And you'll typically go into one of three piles as a as a young lieutenant coming into the fleet: fire direction officer, guns platoon commander, which means you control the gun line and the emplacement of the battery, or um, liaison and fire support. So you attach yourself to an infantry or maneuver element. So that fire direction officer is is basically a young lieutenant who's going to own all the decisions, the organization and the processing of firing data, as well as the communications to talk to higher and to supported elements. And he really does control the fires of that battery. I'll tell you that uh, it was really great hearing Tommy's story. Um, S.P. Howitzers from Kilo 414 in Alabama transitioned into a High Mars rocket battery. So they became Kilo Battery 214 and deployed with me as a cannon battalion. So I was a composite battalion in Afghanistan, 2010 and 11. And so to think back to what was uh, a reserve unit that still exists today, but the transition from manual gunnery and and what I grew up in, uh, into what we we use today on the battlefield, uh, it was really just a great opportunity for me to think about uh, what The changes have been with technology, and then what are the things that are enduring when it comes to computing data, the chaos that comes into a fire direction center, and the young lieutenant who's making decisions about how to command and control those fires.
0: That's a great description. Let's go ahead and listen to the story of Captain Tommy
2: Martinez in Gulf One. I'm Tommy Martinez. I'm a graduate of the United States Naval Academy, class of 78. Uh, My warfare specialty, I went Marine Corps ground artillery as my warfare specialty. And uh, I remained on active duty till July of 1983 and remained in the active reserves of the Marine Corps until 1992. I'm a Desert Shield, Desert Storm veteran. My story goes from, I was a fire direction officer, the FDO. To a 155 155 millimeter howitzer battery a reserve unit out of huntsville alabama kilo battery 4th battalion 14th marines we we're a reserve unit stationed in uh, out of huntsville alabama and we got called to active duty the friday after thanksgiving loaded on airplanes the following monday and uh, they flew us on actually they flew us on trump airlines from Huntsville, flew out all of our rolling stock, all of our howitzers. They, they transported all of that to Camp Pendleton with us. And while we were stationed at Camp Pendleton, getting, doing our workups and getting our shots and just getting ready to go to Southwest Asia, we had to paint all our vehicles. All our vehicles were camouflaged, green, black, brown, European standard camouflage patterns that, you know, all the NATO forces use. So literally, I went out into town and went to Home Depot and bought gallons and gallons and gallons of brown house paint. And we spray painted our vehicles there at the motor park at the 1st Tank Battalion at Camp Pendleton. They put us at 1st Tank Battalion uh, primarily because we were self-propelled howitzers. And the tank battalion was the only place that had a motor park that. With concrete thick enough that could accommodate tracked howitzers. So they had us there. They, they brought in the hospital corpsmen to give us all our shots, bring our shot records up to speed. Fast forward the clock to February of, of 1991, just a, a couple of months later. Desert Storm is well underway. The air war is well underway. The ground war was just beginning to materialize. From that, I mean, we were shooting artillery missions into Kuwait from Saudi Arabia a good week before the official ground assault happened where, you know, the 2nd Marine Division uh, marched, uh, rolled into Kuwait en masse. So we were, we were firing at targets of opportunity. You know, it'd be a bunker here, a trench line there doing uh, artillery counter-battery fire. So the Iraqi artillery would do their best to shoot at us and knock us out. And we would do our best to shoot at them first and knock them out. We had a couple of artillery duels. When the ground war actually started, they moved us into position. So we traversed over the top of the Saudi berm, barrier that the Saudi Saudi Arabia had uh, erected between Kuwait and the Kuwaiti border. Essentially, they took bulldozers and they piled up sand into a large sand berm. Um, and so we we traversed that. We rolled through the gap in the minefield. The minefield was cleared for us by Marine Corps combat engineers. They cleared the minefield and bulldozed uh, the mines to the sides of the road, so to speak, and they improvised a road right through the minefield. So we rolled through the minefield uh, under the cover of darkness and um, we, we laid in our guns, positioned everybody. You know, the howitzers were laid across a 200 meter frontage. So from end to end, the gun line, the, the line of howitzers, about 200 meters across of howitzer now we were doing this in the cover of darkness cover of night and it took us most of the night to roll all the way into position we we started setting in around two in the morning and the guns were laid and ready to go somewhere around three o'clock 3 30. we had a time on target mission called down to us for a five thirty time on target so it means that the battalion, all 36 howitzers, we were all going to shoot at the same time to have all of our bullets land in the same spot at the exact same time. And so we had a time on target of 5.30 in the morning. You know, 155 artillery battery shoots a 92-pound projectile, and it shoots at approximately 27 kilometers. That's, that's, our, that's our max range. Uh, So we were reaching out and grabbing targets well into 15, 18 miles into Kuwait. So we were preparing, getting ready for the time on target. And the target list was actually 40 discrete, 40 individual targets that had to be fired in a sequence starting at 530 with one minute time hacks between each target. So, we had to be spot on, precise, mo- and moving the guns pretty quick, mo- moving the ammunition, moving the howitzers pretty quickly. Well, when you lay a gun in, you're using um, a theatolite, and you start with a known point in the ground, and you measure the angle to the howitzer, the, the sighting mechanism on a howitzer, and it reads a, the angle back to you. And when both of the angles are the same, the howitzers are all pointing in the same direction. So when you lay a battery, the, the idea is to get very, very precise all of the howitzers pointing in the exact same direction that you want them to shoot. Now from there, the howitzer can traverse right or left, up or down, elevate up or down, but its starting point, so that you have a point of reference, is they're all pointing in the same direction. So laying a gun battery is probably one of the most important things that has to happen prior to actually engaging a target. The fi- In the Fire Direction Center, we received a target list from battalion of approximately, it was, there were 40 targets that had to start with a time on target at 5.30 in the morning. First rounds hit target at 5.30 and then 1 minute time hacks between each target 40 targets 40 minutes and the the name of the game is stay stay on pace shoot the target move to the next target shoot the target move to the next target shoot the target move to the next target well in order to do that we had to calculate gun data how much to, how much to, to traverse the howitzers right or left how much elevation up or down to give them so that they can hit the targets and we had to we had to calculate data for each howitzer so we had 6 guns 40 targets we had to calculate 240 different target calculations and this is in the days before GPS so all of this was done by hand and by using a small Hewlett-Packard HP-12 calculator. So we were working from three in the morning trying to calculate data, get it, get it to the gun line, get the information to the gun line ahead of time so that they know what fuse and shell combination to, to get prepared. Uh, we were shooting point detonation, PD uh, detonation. We were shooting v- variable time, airburst artillery. Uh, and the gun line had to know, you know, in what sequence, you know, which bullet was going down range. So we calculated all of this data and we got it to the gun line. And then before we knew it, 530 was creeping up on us. So when 530 actually happened, we pulled the trigger and our howitzers fired down range. And we started going through the one minute time hacks. With everybody getting ready, shoot the next target, one minute time hack, get ready, shoot the next target. Well, we found ourselves, we we're falling behind because it, it was just taking so much time to transmit the data, transmit the information. We we're using wire, you know, sound powered telephones over a wire, uh, wire line network that's laid on the ground, you know, on top of the sand. We were not using radios. We were not using onboard GPS systems on on the howitzers. So the howitzers were manually, manually sighted, manually shot, manually loaded, and our data had to get to the gun line with enough time so that they had enough time to load the next bullet, traverse the gun right or left, give the proper elevation, get ready for pull the trigger and pull the trigger at the, everybody pull the trigger at the same time. Boom, rounds go downrange. So anyways, we were getting, to be perfectly honest, we were getting behind. We were, we were, we were falling behind uh, the time hacks, and it was very, very confusing, very, very, uh, shall we say, high tension, very animated inside the fire direction center. So we got through we got through the 40 targets. It wasn't very pretty. Uh, I'll be the first one to admit it wasn't pretty, but we got through it. You know, we fired our last rounds and reported to battalion rounds complete. And uh, then we everybody took a big breath because it was exhausting, both mentally inside the fire direction center, calculating all that data, reading all that data to individual guns, and then on the gun line they were they were moving fast, picking up the picking up a ninety-two pound bullet and manually loading it into a howitzer. Do that forty times. Um, So the gun line; those guys were exhausted. So we've we've we got through it. We got through it. Looking back on it, it that was an awful lot of pressure to be placed on the fire direction officer. Me, trying to trying to double check everybody's calculations. Six howitzers, two hundred forty calculations. That put a lot of pressure on the fire direction officer. Double check that. Plus, there's an awful a lot of pressure on that poor sergeant, who's physically had a pencil in his hand and fire direction record in front of him, filling in the blanks of the info, you know, all the information for each gun, and maintaining a paper record uh, of what we shot downrange. That was an unnecessary pressure, I think. Uh, unnecessary way to do it. If I were to do it over again, really, I, th- I think I would. Do, I would do it over again by shooting single gun data. Single gun data basically said we calculate data for one gun and we transmit that data to all of the howitzers. So instead of all of the howitzers shooting individual data to hit a single point on the ground downrange, we transmit, we give them single gun data and all of the guns shoot the same data and their rounds actually land parallel. Down, right. Instead of a single point of impact, now, they, now they've, they, the bullets land or the shells land in parallel acro- across the target. But shooting single-gun data would have taken a lot of pressure off that poor sergeant who was doing all the calculations and working his little tail off. And also would have simplified the actual fire mission. We would have been, the right word would be crisper, more crisp in our shooting we would have been we would not have fallen behind and we would have gotten through the the target list i think much better looking back on it i really think that by doing the right thing doing the basics correctly would have solved a lot of this confusion inside the fire direction center by doing the the basic things right, and then doing the next right thing after that, I think would have solved a lot of the problems inside the Fire Direction Center and, and, the, and, the, and the level of confusion that was going on. You know, in, in the end, you know, don't let the pursuit of perfect be the enemy of good. So Colonel, that's quite a
0: story. So 40 targets, 240 target calculations Tell me what's going on at o Dark 30 after moving a couple of kilometers down the road when you've got to make those decisions about those targets.
1: Yeah, from the very beginning of the emplacement into a position, you go from flat sand to a piece of canvas wrapped around eight to 10 Marines who are either establishing communications, laying out the basis to compute the data, whether it's the maps or the charts, and, uh, and getting everything ready to start working through those data sets. And it is controlled chaos, and it is high pressure. So if I can uh, maybe give you an example of what Tommy was going through, he talked about that HP one, one, two, The we called it the Bucks computer, little handheld. You would use that thing, and you would type in your data and have to wait for a solution, have to watch the little wheel turn. But that was only one computation set for data. A fire direction officer is never going to shoot off a single source of information. He's going to compute by two means. So he always bounces that data. So there was probably what's called a graphic firing table, um, which was a slide rule, effectively, with firing data on it. And or um, a chart laid out that actually had a protractor with where you were relative on the earth basically grid squares and 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 determining a uh, deflection for the for the cannons to move left and right onto and that was um that was the the way that that data was computed and it was you had to be smooth you had to be fast and the clock is ticking and and the pressure is this the pressure is to chase every mill that's what we teach a fire direction officer a good battery is going to chase every mill. And what I mean by that is, a degree is not accurate enough for artillery to fire on. A mill, as compared to 360 degrees in a circle, uh, a, a mill is one six four hundredth of a circle. There are 6,400 mills. And you're chasing every single mill that you can because you want to be as accurate as possible. And so the balance becomes how can I compute to the greatest degree to be most effective on the ground? And how much time do I have? And it's, and it's a pressure cooker and, um, and easy. If you see the outside effects of, uh, if you're actually in contact with the enemy or if you're, if you've got, uh, extreme climate conditions that you're fighting against, it just adds more and more pressure, but the very best lieutenants thrive in that. And they, They have a great relationship with their staff sergeant typically. So the staff NCO is that Marine who's been computing that data since he was a PFC, and he's done every single job. So there's not just one Marine who computes firing data, and the FDO is really watching that data get computed. He's watching somebody plot the chart. He's watching the computer, which was a Marine by his billet, actually compute that data Uh, Whether it's graphically or whether it was with the Bucks, he's just kind of not just completely peeking over his shoulder, but he's listening to the data flow. And he's watching all these things happen while there's an individual Marine who's actually establishing communications with the gun line on that wire loop Tommy talked about. And uh, and and calm will go down with one gun and he has to realize, hey, I've only got five guns now. I've got six. Oh, I've got up. Okay, how much time do we have? How many targets? And so the ability to organize, deal with time, deal with the intensity of, um, I've got so much to do, but I've got more to do that I can I can trade off to be as accurate as I want. I'm going to have to just get it done. That is That is regular in every single fire direction center. And every time we go out to train, we typically will put ourselves through that pressure piece.
0: You know, I've always known that you artillery guys, not only being the king of the battlefield, but the smartest guys on the battlefield also. So that's pretty darn impressive. Let's talk about a concept that one of my regimental commanders told me, talked to me about balanced excellence. It's, it's pretty much what Captain Martinez said at the end. Don't let the pursuit of perfect be the enemy of good. How do you balance that? What's the leadership lesson from there?
1: So it's judgment, right? It's judgment and experience because you want that smart lieutenant who can come in and compute data. You want somebody who's technically sound, but he's got to be able to, to think on his feet. He's got to be able to uh, adapt. And so it really comes down to somebody who's got good, solid judgment in addition to the mathematical skills or the technical knowledge of what's going on to get that projectile onto target. It comes from experience. It comes from trusting your Marines. If something doesn't feel right or look right, or one Marine, you can watch his watch his forehead crinkle up because he doesn't think that the solution he just got was right. Um, but how do you get that balanced excellent always comes down to time. How much time do I have to compute this data? I, I can share an example with you from my own experience as a young lieutenant, if you'd like. Yes, please. So I was a first lieutenant battery XO in Twenty Nine Palms. We were on a an extended exercise out there. They used to call it CACs for Combined Arms Exercise.
0: Oh, I know it well. I know it well.
1: Yeah. Many, many a cold night and many a hot day, right? So um, we made a night move similar to this to occupy a position co-located with other batteries in our battalion because we were going to get what was going to be my first opportunity ever to fire DPICM, the dual purpose improved conventional munition, which is basically the bomblets Mm -hmm. inside of a larger projectile instead of plain old high explosive. So there was one point on the map, one intersection of a grid square that, that you could shoot that munition at. And um, and so we were making a night move to get in there, and um, our battery commander um, was there, and he heard on the radio that a battery that had been there the night before, right beside us, was having trouble getting laid and safed, in other words, ready to fire. And so we were going to come in and occupy and be ready to shoot, and I he sensed the opportunity. To come in from a night move, be ready to shoot before the guys who had been there the night before, and and really look good, I think, was really the challenge. And uh, so as soon as we hit the gun position and the release point, he started just cracking the whip. Hurry, hurry, hurry. We got to get done. We got to get laid. Get the battery laid. Let's get the data computed. Let's report to the battalion that we're safe and ready to fire. And um, he had never fired. BPICM either, so he was computing safety and data differently than he was used to, and he was he was smart man, he was good, but he was getting squeezed by the boss, and um, and so that pressure of time to be ready was really being exerted on him by his battery commander, and and unfortunately the end of the story was um, he computed the data correctly, but in the rush to uh, to be ready and and to, to get the first shot out we ended up shooting first and we had a fuse that was misset somewhere on the gun line and it went off short of the target so we expanded that impact area from one single grid to where it became a grid square at 29 palms but it but there was a firing investigation right no harm no foul because it was on top of a mountain but um But the bottom line is, we we had to answer the call on that. That's probably worth another story another time. But uh, it is about uh, the challenge of balancing perfection um, when you have time, but when you don't have time, what can you trade and still be safe and good and effective?
0: It's about judgment. It's about knowing your job. It's about knowing your people. Thanks a lot for uh, this conversation. I know I've learned a lot. You know, I'm one of those guys who've been forward of your gun line watching rounds fly over me. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you guys know what you're doing.
1: Thanks very much for having me, Mike. I, I just love any opportunity to, to get a chance to talk about artillery and, uh, and the king of battle. So it's been great.